You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting the last program, not forever. No, no. Yes, the last program for 2020. And if you're wondering what anarchism is all about, hasn't changed, anarchos without rulers, the anarchist project, let's not use the word mission statement as it's got religious connotations, but the anarchist project is to create a society without rulers, not without rules. What gives rulers the ability to determine the fate of billions of people? Very simply, inequalities in power and wealth. The anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common. It's a simple concept. It's been around since time immemorial. Obviously, it's got a philosophical and ideological basis in 2020, but it is that spirit that uh, humanity has always uh, had, that they want to create a society which is free of personal coercion and obviously coercion on a larger scale. Now... Usually at the end of the year, we usually reflect on what's happening, and uh, obviously we could reflect, but what's the point of reflecting? Sometimes I think, well, it's worthwhile. Maybe it is worthwhile. Now, 2020 has been defined by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and we've seen different responses and different outcomes around the world. And as we approach 2021, uh, the uh, vaccine as a cure, in inverted commas, uh, is uh, on the horizon. But I think it's important to remember that uh, pandemics are nothing new. It is all part and parcel of human history. And if we look at human history, we've seen societies plunge to the depths of despair and then rise phoenix-like from the uh, body count. I mean, over 60% of the population perished in Western Europe during the Black Plague in the 15th and 16th century, and that pandemic lasted for over 300 years. In the last 20 years, we've had a number of near misses. We've had the Ebola crisis in West Africa and Central Africa. We had the SARS epidemic in Asia, mainly in 2008. We've had Middle Eastern Respiratory Distress Syndrome, which resulted in a 30% mortality rate. So pandemics are part and parcel of the human experience. And changes in uh, ecology and changes in the number of people that are on the planet and the pressure this is putting on the planet and the natural environment makes the likelihoods of a pandemic a regular event. Not as we're told constantly a one in a hundred year event. People say, well, we had the... uh, we had the uh, Spanish flu in 1919, 1918, 1919, and now we've got the COVID-19. It doesn't work like that. We've had influenza for a long time. We've had a vaccine for about two decades. So we need to keep in mind that pandemics are a huge issue, especially in 2020, especially in the 21st century, when we can move from one side of the planet to the other in less than 24 hours. Now, the difference between a 21st century pandemic and a 16th century pandemic is the speed of travel and the speed via which a virus to which the community 
has no immunity to can spread and how quickly it can spread around the world. And the lesson of the COVID-19 pandemic was the fact that spread is almost instantaneous. Now, if there was one mistake which was made by the Chinese authorities when it was first discovered in December 2019 was the fact that the local authorities concerned about the reaction of the centralised, fossilised Chinese Communist Party tried to keep a lid on COVID-19. They tried to keep it a local secret. And uh, it wasn't long before the pandemic had a grip on the people in Wuhan. And it wasn't long before the central authorities came in to oust the local authorities and try to deal with the pandemic. And in China, they dealt with the pandemic in the only way the Chinese Communist Party knows how to deal, and that's with an iron fist. And in this particular situation, that strategy worked to a significant degree because locking down Wuhan province, locking down the Chinese people, actually decreased the spread of the disease. But by then... Because the local authorities had tried to uh, hide the fact that been a, it was a pandemic and the doctors who originally uh, raised this issue were actually um, prosecuted by the authorities and in, in one case jailed because they tried to raise the issue in the general community in early January 2020, the pandemic had already escaped from Wuhan province and was travelling around the world. So what is a pandemic? Well, a pandemic is a very simple concept. It's the concept that as human beings, we have a response to uh, outside um, attacks, not just as regarding sovereign nation states, but regarding our bodies, the cells in our bodies. We have an autoimmune system which produces antibodies, which te- tends to counter many viruses and bacteria which occur in the world. And as we're a reasonably robust uh, organism, with over 7 billion of us on planet Earth, what we find is that in the majority of cases, the human body is actually able to deal to some degree with uh, any external threat. But what happens when an organism jumps from the animal kingdom into the human kingdom is that the human body has no defence mechanism whatsoever to that particular organism, whether it's a virus or bacteria. And that means that human being can be quickly overwhelmed by that particular virus. And that's why we're lucky. I know it's a funny word to use when we talk about a pandemic. We're lucky that the mortality rate for COVID-19 seems to be around 1.5 to 2%, and it seems to affect older members of the population, people over 70, although obviously people, younger people also can become infected but seem to have a less severe reaction. So as far as pandemics go, this is not a huge pandemic in terms of mortality rates, but it is a huge problem in terms of dealing with the health outcomes and the health issues and having the infrastructure available to deal with the demands on health systems. And if you've got a rudimentary health system, then your ability to assist the population is minimal. So in Western society, we were in a position where we had health systems which may or may not have been able to deal with the pandemic once it's broke out. Because once it breaks out in 2020, because of air travel, it can travel from Italy to Australia in you know 18 hours. It can travel from China to Australia in 14 hours. And unless you have stringent border control mechanisms, it can get out of control very quickly. And that's what we saw in many parts of the world. Now, in many regards, we were lucky in Australia because of our geographical isolation. Once it was obvious that the pandemic was going to spread among the Australian population, border closures were put in place. And those border closures were the single most important thing which has made the response in Australia and New Zealand much better than many parts of the world because we don't share borders, land borders, with other countries where people can easily cross. Although we have the air corridors, which was a mechanism via which 
the, the virus arrived. So in many regards, this is, the, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the first of many pandemics we'll face in the 21st century. Increasing population growth, over 7.2 billion people. Decreased uh, arable land. Increased in road in road increased inroads into the natural environment by human beings as we tend to expand in terms of agricultural sector and the fact that we need to have housing for all these people means that we have an increased interaction with the animal kingdom. I'm not just talking about animals, but bacteria, viruses, uh, insects, and the list goes on. So there's huge interaction. And you may find it surprising that we had over 200 invasions to the human body through the animal kingdom of viruses and bacteria over the last 20 years. Most of these have been of little consequence, but obviously COVID-19 was one of those that has consequences. So the dilemma is, how do we as a society deal with this potential threat? Now, we have a military apparatus, which may be very good in protecting us against a missile attack, does nothing against a virus. We have a health system which may provide uh, protection for human beings against uh, the normal run of diseases, but we have a health system which is actually not designed to deal with the situation we find ourselves in today in 2020. So what are the lessons of COVID-19? I think the first lesson to learn is that deregulation is a disaster. It is a total disaster. Not only don't we have a centre for disease control in this country, over the last 40 years during the deregulation phase, less and less and less and less and less resources, government resources, have been put into public health. We've seen in Victoria, which had the most disastrous second wave, we have seen the almost total destruction of the public health service. The megalithic uh, Human Services Department, Health and Human Services Department in Victoria, over the last 20 years has been transformed into an organisation which basically gives out contracts to private organisations to deal with healthcare issues. There is no memory about how to deal with a pandemic. There is no public health system which can actually do conduct tracing. And we found in the early stages that the response in New South Wales and Victoria was dramatically different. In, in, in New South Wales, they were able to localise the infection, they were able to contact trace, they were able to contain it, and they were able to prevent a second wave of infection in their community. In Victoria, because of the lack of a significant public health sector, we were not able to contain the disease for return travellers in hotels. We were actually not able to contact trace. And what we saw is a rapid expansion of the disease into the community. And it took six months of economic pain and uh, social restriction for the COVID-19 uh, virus to be put in its place. So the things we learn is this. One, we learnt is that we need a centre for disease control. Two, we need a central. We need a. We need the centre of disease control to have local bodies across the nation, and these local bodies are not just there to provide uh, a paid uh, staff to deal with the situation, but we need a volunteer body to be involved with these organisations, uh, the centres for disease control, similar to the country fire authority across the country. Now we know. Australia is a large continent that we can't deal with fire by using uh, paid professionals. There really aren't enough resources. So across the country, we have country fire brigades, which are volunteer organisations, which help to deal with the bushfire emergencies. We should have such a thing as far as public health is concerned. We should have a mechanism by which we can actually incorporate volunteers into an organisation which can actually be set in motion if there is evidence of a second pandemic. That's the first thing we do. We need to incorporate the population. The second thing I think we learnt uh, very early in the phase in the COVID-19, the second thing we learnt is we do not have a mechanism via which 
the public sector can actually deal, create vaccines or deal with the COVID-19 crisis. It's all been privatised. We saw the privatisation of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories in 1994 by the Keating-led Labor government. In 2020, the Morrison-led Liberal National Party had to give CSL, which is a private corporation, a billion dollars to ensure it'll stay in Australia for the next uh, 10 years to provide serum products and vaccines for the population. Now, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is a tragedy. We have no public health sector which actually is involved in basic research that could actually be used, could be used in a pandemic to try to develop vaccines if we have future issues. The next issue is we saw the fragmented response in Australia as if we were six independent nation states and two independent territories. Uh, it's important that in 2020 that we act as a one united nation not as a confederation of states where state premiers have extraordinary powers which they can impose on the population. If there's one abiding, long-standing lesson from the COVID-19 crisis is there is no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power in Australia. No constitutional protection. I think a lot of people found it quite extraordinary that uh, state premiers could restrict movement. They could actually close down borders. They could jail people. They could fine people. And the list goes on and on in order to contain the pandemic. Now, I have no problems with the fact that decisions needed to be made in order to contain the spread of the pandemic. But what I found uh, troubling was the fact by declaring a state of emergency and then a state of disaster that the state has total control. It is one thing in a pandemic situation, but the same process can be used during, the, during the sustained protests in this country. The same legislation which was used to restrict movement, the same legislation that was used to close down borders, the same legislation which was used to close down businesses, the same legislation that was used to create permits to allow people to travel can be introduced tomorrow to deal with a political situation, not a pandemic, but a political situation because any government at any time in this country can declare a state of emergency and then a state of disaster. So that's one thing we need to keep in the back of our minds is the fact that in Australia we have no constitutional protections. It is one thing using these powers to contain the spread of a pandemic. It is another thing using these powers to contain and destroy legitimate political, social and cultural opposition to the dominant ideology and dominant order in this country. So I think these are the lessons we need to remember in 2020, in the last week in 2020, regarding COVID-19. I think the other thing that we need to remember uh, regarding 2020 is the fact that we've moved from a climate, uh, climate, we've moved to a climate emergency. And if there is one thing about capitalism, and capitalism is a very simple concept, private investment for private profit, is the fact that it can contain most issues in our society. And to me, the single most dominant issue in Australian society in 2020 was not the fact that we had a pandemic, but the fact that politics, extra-parliamentary politics in this country is dominated by groups and individuals who are interested in single issues. Now, there's nothing wrong with individuals or groups being interested in single issues, but when focus is totally devoted to those particular issues, it doesn't take long for those issues to be incorporated within a capitalist framework. I mean, gay marriage was an important issue, but it has no impact on capitalism. It's absorbed into capitalism. We heard about all the you know, gay marriage, about how the certain industries would... Uh, would benefit. And the list goes on and on. Even the quest for a treaty with this country's First Nations people can be incorporated 
in a capitalist framework. And the most important thing is green capitalism. Green capitalism is becoming the dominant ideology of the 21st century. Now, obviously, we all agree, well, 99% of people agree there is a climate emergency. But the way we are tackling the climate emergency around the globe is by using capitalist principles, private investment for private profit, to deal with that emergency. There is no changes in the way we live, the way we interact, the way we use energy. These are not changes which... Uh, fun- these are changes which are fundamental to dealing with the climate emergency, which are never discussed. It's all about green capitalism. It's all about the uh, Elon Musks of the world. It's all about them building corporations that dominate the solar solar energy. I mean, wind farms in Australia are now dominated by the largest wind farm corporation in the world, which is based in Spain. I mean, we're not talking about local production. We're talking about capitalist solution to capitalist problems. We, are, we do not talk in this country about solutions which are not based on the principle of private investment for private profit. And that's why we have allowed almost every important institution in this country to be privatised. Now, I'm going to go through a list, and you may be gobsmacked at the end of this list, and this has happened over the last 40 years without your permission, because you need to understand that public assets, although they're paid for the, by the public, they do not belong to the public. They belong to the government of the day, and the government of the day can privatise any publicly owned asset at any time. And we saw this with the privatisation of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory in 1994. Built in 1911, privatised in 1994. We saw it again with the Commonwealth Bank, the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank, the privatisation of what was called Telecom, the privatisation of this country's airports, the privatisation of, obviously, the resources industry, the privatisation of ports, the privatisation of huge amounts of public assets by the, into the hands of the private sector. We are now seeing it in Victoria with the privatisation of public housing. So this is the issue for two, as we approach 2020. We now find ourselves in a situation in Australia where essential services, essential institutions are owned by private corporations. And these private corporations' ultimate responsibility is not to the sovereign nation-state. It is not to the people who live in this country. It is not to the government of the day. Irrespective of what legislation is passed in Parliament to force them to acknowledge that, these privately owned institutions only responsibilities to their major shareholders or their private owners. They have no responsibility to us. And to drive home that point, there is nothing more illuminating than what's happened to the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, where the Commonwealth Government had to give them $1 billion this year in order to ensure they will continue to manufacture serum products and vaccines in this country for the next decade because we have no public ownership of essential infrastructure, no public ownership of electricity generation, and we are now seeing governments willing to give privately owned corporations money to ensure that uh, that uh, coal mining continues to to exist, and the list goes on and on. So ultimately, we need to remember that essential infrastructure, essential institutions needs to be controlled, needs to be in the hands of the government of the day. And if we want to ensure that the government of the day cannot privatise these assets, these the ownership of these assets need to be incorporated in the Australian Constitution. Because if you think... The privatisation of public assets has come to an end. Think again. 
the expanding snowy hydroelectric scheme will be privatised. The national broadband network to which the Australian taxpayers put in $50 billion will also be privatised. And remember what happened when Telstra was privatised. We had all these companies come in to increase competition. All we saw was the development of cartel behaviour. So at the end of the day, privatisation continues to be a cancer which needs to be obliterated. So to me, this is essential. And the next thing that I think 2020 has highlighted is how our mineral resources are being exploited for private corporations, by private corporations, for the benefit of their major shareholders and owners. As the fortunes of these owners, these multi-billionaires, gets bigger and bigger, we are seeing the impact it's having on the rest of the country. Now, Australia, theoretically, is a resource-rich country. But in the same country that I'm now broadcasting in, the Anarchist World This Week, through the Community Radio Network, we have one in six Australian children living in poverty. In this same country, we have people who are homeless. In this same country, we have people who are concerned about food security. That's a fancy word for not having enough to eat. And the list goes on and on. In this country, we have the situation of single women, older single women being the most increasing homeless section of the population, and the list goes on and on. So we find ourselves, although we're supposedly resource-rich, seeing at least a third of the population who live on social security benefits living on or below the poverty line. We are seeing with the introduction of artificial intelligence the decreasing need for labour and the increasing job insecurity that this this has caused with the uh, rise and rise of the gig economy during the pandemic. So in 2020, we are faced with a major issue which we don't seem to be able to tackle or even be willing to discuss. And that is the role of work and the role of the wage system in a 21st century society which is relying more and more on digitalization and artificial intelligence, where we have now reached the situation where we don't need everybody in society to work. That's right, we don't need everybody in society to work in order for this society to flourish. So what that means is that more and more people are now finding themselves in insecure work or on social security benefits, not actually being able to live the so-called Australian dream. And to a significant degree, we have allowed this to occur because we have believed the garbage that privatisation and deregulation and privatisation and corporatisation and globalisation was somehow going to improve the life of every Australian. Well, the reality has been different because if you look at every social, medical, cultural, political indicator in this country over the last two to three decades, we have seen the gap between the rich and the poor grow. We've seen the gap between those who are marginalised and the rest of society grow. We've seen the gap between the investment class, which takes up about 8% of the Australian population, and the rest of the population grow. And this is not a natural growth. This is a growth which has been promoted through the introduction of legislation which has been supported by the majority of the Australian people, which gives investors a head start in the game of life. Franking credits. No other country in the world has franking credits. Franking credits is a fancy name for you as a taxpayer paying people who have shares for the privilege of having shares. Extraordinary. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This is the final program for 2020. I'm trying to uh, look at the major issues of the period, not just uh, COVID-19 of the year. Uh, I am encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interests. 
Currently, we need about another 120, 130 members on the Australian or the Commonwealth electoral roll in order to apply for registration as a federal political party. If you're sick and tired of looking in from the outside, if you're sick and tired of being involved in debates which lead nowhere, if you're sick and tired of single-issue politics, if you want to make basic reforms, well, then I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests. You can go to their website, pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can download the application for by going to pibci.net. Ultimately, public interest before corporate interest is a political party which is not based on the concept of winning political power. In the 21st century, in an era of instant communication, it is tragic to see how little discussion there is on the major building blocks of this society, how little discussion there is about the role of capitalism in our society, how little discussion there is about the role that Parliament plays, how Parliament has been hijacked by that 1% of Australians that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, how little discussion there is of any alternatives outside single-issue politics, how the government guild at ABC has basically become a spokesperson for the government of the day. So we are in a particularly difficult situation and we need to address that situation by raising new ideas in the community. And a good way to raise new ideas is during election campaigns because it's one time that some people who have no voice can have a voice. So the things, what is public interest before corporate interest interested in? Things like a universal basic income to tackle the problems of the wage system. In a 21st century society, you don't need everybody working in order that society to function. So what happens to those people who are not part of the wage system? Do they live in poverty on a social security benefit, jumping by hoops which are created by governments? Do they live on you know, cashless cards? Do they, are they marginalised? Are their children marginalised for all eternity? Or do we have something different? Do we have a, a mechanism via which to ensure that every resident citizen has a basic income that takes care of their basic needs, shelter, food, education, and the list goes on and on? So the question of a universal basic income should be on everybody's lips. And that is one of the major issues that public interest before corporate interest is now Pursuing. So if you are interested in these concepts, go to the website, pipsy.net, download the application form. If you haven't got a computer, leave me a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and I'll send you out some application forms. Without 550 members of the Australian Electoral Roll, there is no way that we can apply for membership as a federal political party. That's the reality you and I face today in 2020. Let's look at the economy. Now, everybody's talked about the economy, the fact that we've had to go into debt to deal with the, with the COVID-19 crisis, the fact that we, to avoid uh, unnecessary suffering, that the businesses received grants, that uh, people uh, received the JobKeeper payment, the JobSeeker payments were doubled temporarily, and the list goes on and on. Now, listen to the Australian Prime Minister. The only sector that creates jobs is businesses. And in order for jobs to be created, the government needs to give more money for businesses. Now, Australia is a very interesting position, dramatically different to what it was like 40 years ago economically. 40 years ago, you had competition between the public sector and the private sector. You had a strong public sector, not just in terms of a bureaucracy which attempted to manage things, but in terms of a public sector which provided basic services to the population as a whole, whether it was telecom, the Commonwealth Bank, Qantas and the list goes on and on. We had a vibrant public sector in 2020. The public sector has disappeared to a significant degree apart from being a bureaucracy and much of this bureaucracy is also outsourced to the private sector. Then in 2020, 
we have a major issue in terms of economy. We do not have a cooperative or collectivist strain or stream within the Australian economy. The Australian economy is basically based on private investment for private profit. This means there is no real competition. And if there's no real competition, we see the formation of corporations, which now three or four large corporations dominate every aspect of human activity in this country, you know, from buying food, you know, to uh, entertainment. We see the domination. If you go into a shopping centre anywhere in Australia, you'll see the same brands, you'll see the same stores, some locally owned, some privately owned. And if we go to the net, we're part of the digital economy, you'll see the same names over and over again. So the reality is there is no third tier. And public interest before corporate interest, and something I've been promoting now for decades, is the concept of forming cooperatives and collectives to gamefully employ people to produce products and services for the population. I mean, a member of a cooperative or collective does not make you rich, but... It provides for your basic human needs and it also allows you to have extra income which you can then use to go on a holiday or whatever. Cooperatives and collectives are an important third tier of any mixed economy. We do not have a significant cooperative and collectivist stream within the Australian economy. It's basically a private economy. Collectives and cooperatives can act as competition to the private sector. They can decrease prices. They can actually improve the delivery of services to individuals and communities. The problems with trying to develop a cooperative or collective in Australia is the fact that we do not have a mechanism via which these organisations can borrow money because privately owned Banks refuse to lend money to cooperatives and collectives and governments refuse to lend money to cooperatives and collectives. So we need a mechanism via which people can apply for uh, funding, seeding funding to establish a cooperative and collective and we should be looking at things like a 1% stock market turnover tax or a 1% tax on superannuation contributions to provide seeding funding for cooperatives and collectives and then those cooperatives and collectives that succeed pay it back and those that fail, well, it's a loss. So we need to expand the Australian economy from a public-private divide into a public-private cooperative-collectivist divide. The more streams in the Australian economy, the greater the competition, the greater the benefit to the Australian population. And to me, diversifying the economy is one of the major issues of 2020 and 2021. You know, it is a major issue. It's not just about a climate emergency. Diversifying the economy allows us to tackle the climate emergency, relying on green capitalism to tackle the climate emergency means that we tend to repeat the mistakes of the past. So these things we need to look at closely. The next thing I think 2020 has highlighted is the rise and rise of digitalisation in the, in the gig economy. Now, everybody thinks the gig economy is something new. It is something brilliant. Well, the gig economy is a throwback to the 18th century, where everybody was basically an individual contractor. The gig economy is slavery by another name. It is not wage slavery. It's worse than wage slavery. It is slavery. Because an individual who's involved in the gig economy has no protections that somebody who is working under an award system which was created through the struggle of trade unions has... The gig economy is just a 19th century throwback. It's about putting all the responsibility on the, on the individual. Five Uber drivers, or from that particular field, might not be all Uber drivers, five drivers, five delivery persons who deliver food on bicycles have been killed on New South Roads in the last two months. Not one of them is entitled to 
their family one cent in compensation. And when you think that these drivers who are delivering food to us are underpaid, have no insurance, have no holiday pay, have no sick benefits, have no compensation, and getting an average of ten to twenty ten to fifteen dollars an hour, you understand how exploitive the gig economy is. And if you do use the gig economy, think again. By using those services you are making a decision to support nineteenth century exploitative capitalism. Think about it. Every time you phone up and you want your food delivered, not only are the people who are making the food exploited, not only the people who are delivering the food are exploited, but you personally are contributing to the growth of 19th century capitalism, which is based on the concept of destroying every regulation that has been put in place to protect workers from exploitation. Now, when... You have a survey that claims that 90% of temporary workers are exploited by their employers. You begin to understand that this is a structural issue. It's not an individual issue. It's not about good employers and bad employers. It's about bad legislation. It's about terrible legislation. And the gig economy, to a significant degree, has been created by federal government legislation, which has allowed 1.7 temporary workers into... 1.7 million, not 1.7, but 1.7 million temporary workers into this country. Think about it. 1.7 million. That's one in six or one in seven Australian workers is a temporary worker. And why was legislation passed to allow temporary workers in this country? Was it because we were concerned we had skill shortages, maybe in a little small percentage of cases, maybe half a percent, but the major reason this legislation was passed was to ensure that we had a glut of workers in this country. This did two things. It kept down wages, and most importantly at all, it broke the power the trade unions had in negotiating agreements for their members with employers. And it's no exaggeration to say that in 2020 we have very, we have very few differences with communist China in terms of workers' rights. Because in this country, in 2020, it is illegal to call a strike outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. And when it comes to trade unions, especially the CFMMEU, the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime and Energy Union, we have special legislation which gives a member of the CFMMEU less rights in court than somebody who imports a billion dollars worth of ecstasy. And if you think I'm exaggerating, think again. Members of the CFMEU who are called up for questioning cannot legally refuse to answer questions. Somebody who imports a billion dollars worth of ecstasy can legally refuse to answer questions because it may incriminate them, and the list goes on and on. So we have seen a host of legislation put into this country, passed through Parliament, passed by both major political parties, which have allowed, that's right, which have allowed so many rights and liberties to be taken away in this country, which have made striking a criminal activity, which make an occupation of a building or a factory a criminal offence, which could end up in 25 years in jail. And the list goes on and on. The next thing I think we need to remember about 2020, as I said at the beginning of the program, it has highlighted the extraordinary power the state has in Australia. Has 
any other Western liberal democracy, every other Western liberal democracy has some constitutional protections for the individual against the arbitrary exercise of state power. In Australia, there is no constitutional protection. There is no human rights. We don't even have the rights to free speech. The High Court had to find an implied right to free speech during election campaigns, and the list goes on and on. The High Court found that the Commonwealth Government can indefinitely detain for life individuals without charges who are seeking asylum or refuge in this country who've conducted no criminal activity. The High Court has found that there is no protection as far as freedom of gathering is concerned, freedom of association, freedom of speech. We have the, we have the situation where the Attorney-General can ban any organisation, not the Attorney-General, but the Home Affairs Minister these days can ban any organisation at any time he likes because he feels that they may pose a threat to Commonwealth interests. And we're seeing this punitive nature of government, this coercive nature, now move into many directions. Currently, as you're aware, under the Your Future, Your Super legislation, the Commonwealth Government will be able to direct trustees of superannuation funds, which are theoretically independent financial institutions, be able to direct how they spend their money. It'll be able to stop them investing in particular projects because it offends government sensibilities. We've now all got the extraordinary situation where a government which says that it's all about choice has passed legislation in terms of the cashless card which restricts the choice of the most marginal people in this country. At the same time, it is now restricting the choices of some of the most powerful financial institutions in this country because they may not be investing in the fossil fuel industry. This is not a government about choice. This is a government which restricts choice. It restricts individual choice. It restricts political choice. It restricts economic choice. And mostly important of all, it is pursuing a censorship agenda. When the ABC Four Corners program looked at the behaviour of the its par, of parliamentarians, the communications minister, Mr. Fletcher, ordered an investigation to the ABC, which could have led to the sacking of Ida Buttrose, the current ABC chair. And the list goes on and on. So we have a government in power that is willing to use the power it has under the constitution to restrict choice on a daily basis. Just extraordinary. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. This is the last program for the year. Potpourri about what's happening. Uh, we are looking at uh, different issues. Issues don't go away. COVID-19 or no COVID-19. All COVID-19 does is actually put an extra layer on the uh, ability of us to lead a productive, useful life. Because that's what it's all about. I mean, hypocrisy. If there is one word to describe 2020, it's hypocrisy. One word to describe 2012, I should say 2020, I'm in the wrong decade, 2020 is hypocrisy. I'm sure there was hypocrisy in 2012, but not like 2020, just an extraordinary year for hypocrisy. We have governments and oppositions which talk about freedom of a choice which restrict choice. We have governments and oppositions which rail against the Chinese Communist Party for... Uh, putting impositions on some of their citizens, while we see the Australian government and opposition put more and more restrictions on Australian citizens. We, in 2020, we've seen the marginalisation of the marginal, people who find themselves on the margin. We have seen hypocrisy on a state government level where the Victorian Labor government continues its agenda to privatise public housing by muddying the waters by talking about social, community and affordable housing. 
when public housing is publicly owned, social community and affordable housing is privately owned, privately managed. Whether it's a for-profit or not-for-profit doesn't really matter. So we have a government at the state level which has done all it can to privatise public housing while at the same time Victoria spends least on the public housing sector and has the highest, highest homeless rate in this country. Unlike Queensland, which which expands its public housing sector, it is hell-bent on destroying what's left of the public housing sector. So forget about Trump, forget about Biden, forget about what's happening in the rest of the world and concentrate what's happening in this in your backyard. Because all politics ultimately is local politics. Change is about local change. And if you're looking at 2021... I think the thing you should look at is what you are doing. I mean, every response is legitimate. You may decide to retain your membership of the somebody should do something about that tribe or, or um, you know, I'll do something about that at some time tribe. You can, you can retain your membership. That's fine. You can decide to sit in your chair and... Click all day saying like, 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 and just stay in your chair and fall asleep and then wake up and go like, 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 like. I mean, you may feel better. You will get repetitive strain injury of your forefinger, but it's really not going to change anything on the ground. You may decide that, you know, you want to join the Yellow Peril Brigade, that it's all about China. It's all about China invading Australia, that we're always, you know, we're always in the right, you know, this European enclave in Asia. You may decide that this is what it's all about. You've got to stop the yellow hordes and you're going to join the Morrison initiative to stop the yellow hordes. You may decide you want to do that. You may decide that you're happy that one in, seven, one in six Australian children live in poverty and over 33% of the population live on marginal lives on social security benefits. You may want to become an Uber driver or a Deliveroo driver. Who knows? But ultimately, the type of society we have is not based on our political representatives because our political representatives in a, in a social democracy ultimately represent the views held by the people in this country. And the views held by the people in this country are ultimately conservative views. They have swallowed hook, line and sinker the propaganda that deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation will solve the problems that we are faced with. They have accepted that the private sector is the only sector that can deal with issues in this country. We as a population have accepted that. And it's no point crying about the privatisation of essential services. It's no point, you know, waiting for the next election to cast your ballot. There's no point in that. I mean, democracy is about what happens in between elections. Whether we sit on the margins and do nothing waiting for the next election and then cast another ballot, whether it's we do something in between elections. And there are different ways of being active. It's not about everybody being out in the street on a single day. There are many ways of being active. You can support local groups. You can become involved in single-issue campaigns. You can become involved in mass action. You can be involved in many activities across this country. It's simple. Ultimately, you've got to make a decision. Are you happy with the status quo? Fine. Good. Are you unhappy with the status quo but not willing to do anything about it? Oh, well, fair enough. Are you unhappy with the status quo and you've decided to do a, become a virtual warrior, clicking your way to oblivion? Fine, if that's what you want to do, fine. Are you unhappy with the status quo and you want to make radical changes? Do you believe that increasing population growth, finite resources, increasing CO2 emissions and an economic system 
dominated by unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders isn't the way you want to go. Well, then, isn't it time that you raised your voice, that you found like-minded people, that you became involved in action to change things? And if you think, like the majority of people in this country think, that you can't fight City Hall, you can fight City Hall, and you can beat City Hall. History, his history and her history, that's right, our history, his history and her history, our history, is littered with examples of people who have taken up causes which are considered to be... You couldn't move an elephant. You couldn't move it. And at the end of the day, change occurred. And change continues to occur. But the tragedy in the 21st century is that we seem to have less desire, less impact than we did when we weren't part of the digital age, when we didn't have a mass communication system. We have forgotten that all power ultimately lies in the hands of an active population. It doesn't lie in the hands of the government. It doesn't lie in the hands of the military. It doesn't lie in the hands of the bureaucracy. It doesn't lie in the hands of the corporate sector. We can allow that power to lie in their hands, but ultimately, political power lies in the hands of an engaged population. And that is the key, to be engaged. You've been listening for the last program of The Anarchist World this week for 2020. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you want to, uh, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439395489. You can write to me. Yes, I do answer back to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Twitter stream. You can go to the Instagram, Pipsy AUS. Uh, you can go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. You can go to a number of Facebook pages, uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, and the list goes on and on. You can go to the Pipsy website, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. That's Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pipsy.net. Want to make a change, interested in change the direction of political debate? Think seriously about joining Pipsy today. Download the application form from pipsy.net or uh, ring me on 0439 395 489 for application forms or write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. And last of all, I'd like to thank all those people who've been listening to the Anarchist World this week over the years. I'd like to thank all those new listeners, all those people who have uh, accessed the podcast, and we have an increasing number of people accessing the podcast. But ultimately... It doesn't matter what I say, how I say it, how long I broadcast. Ultimately, change comes from you, your involvement. Change comes from your involvement. And last of all, I'd like to thank all those people of the Community Radio Network who've ensured this program goes national and all those people at Community Radio 3CR for ensuring the Anarchist World this week is now in its 43rd year of broadcasting. Thank you once again to all our listeners around the country, all those listeners who are listening to the program live on 3cr.org.au and all those listeners who go to the podcast. Listen in to the first week of 2021 for the new program and the old program of Anarchist World this week. Listen in next week on your local community radio station courtesy of the Community Radio Network. The network allows the Anarchist World this week to be broadcast across Australia, courtesy of Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. Evil minds that plot destruction. Death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.